BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. We are now going to discuss a team fresh off the best season in franchise history since 1979, the Washington Wizards, nay, Bullets. And joining us through that, Mike Prada of SB Nation, now a three-time participant in the Dunkdown previews for the Wizards. What's up, Mike? What's up is how many people, what's the longest, four times? No, this is the third year we've done it, so you you are maxing out. That's right. Uh, Take that, everybody else who comes on. (laughs) Yeah, 2015 is the earliest uh was the first year that that we did these so where i want to start with washington a very salient question here because they have retained much of the team that went 49 and 33 a year ago how good were these guys last year yeah, it, it's a good question because if you look at the sum of the whole, 49-33, point differential of about a little less than that, second round team. But they almost had four seasons in one, uh, the way I look at it. They had the terrible start where they're one of the worst teams. They start two and eight. They have about a month and a half where they're like winning games, but they're not really winning games very convincingly. And that kind of gets their record back up. But I, I just, you don't think, they don't look like this really great team. And then I, I the game I mark off that was always significant to me as a moment was they were down double digits at home to Philly in early January or mid-January. And then the second half, they blew them off the court. They blew Portland off the court the next night. And then for a 17-game stretch until the All-Star break, they're the second best team in the league behind Golden State. They're 15-2. and two. They have one loss at the buzzer to Detroit and one loss to Cleveland on that amazing game on TNT. They win every other game. Their point differential is only, again, only the Warriors are better and like nobody is near them. They're like in a tier of their own. And so for those 17 games, they were one of the best teams ever. And then after that, they kind of reverted a little bit back into their like kind of December, January form where they're winning games, but not particularly impressively. So I don't know, you bring that all together and it kind of, the record makes sense, but like they almost had four seasons in one. So that's why it's sort of interesting interesting to ask like how good they were um because the other thing too is sometimes you see teams like finish the year the way the wizards played in january like portland or whatever and it's that doesn't tend to carry over but how well does like an awesome stretch in january and february carry over i think is an interesting question uh to figure out for this year well what was it about that stretch that was so much better than the rest of the season yeah it's a good question they were just like way better at everything they actually defended um i think they had their very 
set lineup in place. You know, their starting lineup was clicking. They had a short rotation. Kelly Oubre was kind of playing his best as the 3-4 that would swing up in small lineups. Jason Smith was playing really well. You know, they tightened the rotation up, and it was one of those things that I just don't think anyone thought was sustainable. You know, you can't you can't play seven guys uh, throughout the course of the season. So they made the trades at the deadline to get Bogdanovich, um, and I think that maybe in theory was a good thing, but it also sort of messed up a little bit of the rhythm that they had and, you know, the all-star break. Um, so I think that had a lot to do with it, but they were frankly better at everything, you know, and it was also the only point of the year where they actually defended, I think, at a high level uh, was in that stretch. And the way they play, if they play defend at that level, they are pushing it right back down your throats and that's where they're most dangerous. So they're kind of this snowball team. And But if they're not defending at that level for various reasons, maybe they got tired, you know, maybe they got a little lazy, maybe they got a little overconfident, um, all those things. They had all those games on the West Coast where they kind of pulled a lot of games out of their ass. And I think that they never really recovered. Without that, I think that was the difference. You know, for most of the year, they were a bad defensive team. And then for those 17 games, they were actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, the two major weaknesses that I saw with this team last year, and you mentioned only a 1.6 net rating, which would have been the point differential of a 46 win team. So a little bit below where they finished up in terms of of actual wins. Uh, But the bench was horrendous throughout most of the the season. And of course, as well during the playoffs, despite the return of Jan Mahimi, who was really bad in the playoffs. And by the end, you know, John Wall was walking on defense in that game seven because Scott Brooks Mm -hmm. felt like he just couldn't take him out of the game. So both in the regular season and the playoffs, the bench was a major issue. And then the defense, which you mentioned after the All-Star, break among the worst in the league like second or third worst something like that so do you think that any of those will be any better this year well they better i don't know if you look at the moves they made that they're going to get better on defense you know they obviously added bench pieces tim frazier should be better than brandon jennings and yeah if jody or, or trey his... burke for that matter i mean trey burke right. played <laughs> 703 minutes and negative 9.2 net rating a year ago yeah you could probably find a uh, hundred players who play in like turkey who would be better than Trey Burke was last year. Um, he was that bad. So, yeah, they, he should be better by virtue of just being an NBA player. Jody Meeks, if he's healthy, should give them a shooter. You know, Mike Scott maybe will be better. You would think Ubre will be improved in his fourth year, but I'm not sure they totally are. It's not like their bench is a juggernaut now. And defensively, I think a lot – I don't know if the issues really were personnel – as much as like I'm not sure they could have made a move that would have made them significantly better on defense they just have to play better on defense they just have to give more effort and you know one thing about those second half stats that's worth noting is that they were they had a very road heavy schedule backloaded schedule they had two long road trips in March and I think that fatigued them in a way that the same way that sort of that stretch that they went 17 15 and 2 just kept building on each other itself it was a bit of a crash after the all-star break and I think the travel of affected their their effort the short rotation affected their defense so you know i don't know if there's like any obvious reason that they get better on defense they they just have to have a little bit it just has to be a little more consistent you know the t- the whole year was a roller coaster maybe with more consistency you know they'll be able to put in a better effort i'm not sure the personnel is all that much better than it was last year 
Yeah, it really is. And I just, I think that this team definitely has a ceiling defensively. My hope was that if they could get from Jan Mahimi what he gave the Pacers the year before, that maybe that could be their road to improvement. Gortat was maybe an average defensive center in his prime now, moving beyond that as he's into his early 30s. And I thought Mahimi could really help them. Of course, he wasn't healthy. But beyond that, it's really going to be tough for these guys to be a great defensive team. Wall was once a really good defender now i think you do you agree with me he's kind of dropped off in these last couple of years yeah i would say so and i think it's one of those you know one possession yeah sure i'd take him but they're a lot more than one possession in a game so i'm gonna pass on a word here from our sponsors five four club who understand that your time is extremely valuable certainly that is the most valuable resource that i have these days i don't want to waste it at the mall wandering around in stores yeah maybe i could find a decent deal if i go to that sales rack where they aren't even organized if you're they're organized by size you're lucky you scroll through you spend all this time trying it on it doesn't look good on you it doesn't fit right i don't want to waste four or five hours at the mall trying to go and get a few shirts or a few pairs of pants 54 club is the solution that they've been the leading menswear brand for over 15 years and you can trust them with your wardrobe if you like chris paul mark Wahlberg, use 54 club and with over 15 years of experience, it's safe to say that 5-4 Club stylists are experts. Even if you aren't an expert stylist, you can rely on someone who is. Here's how it works. Each month, they send you a curated box of two to three items that are handpicked to match the current season and your style. You can fill out a questionnaire whether you want something bolder or more traditional. They ship to over 100,000 men every month. And with those two to three items, you'll get $120 worth of clothes for just $60 a month. Plus, you can pause or cancel anytime with no commitments. Also, as a 5-4 Club member, you'll receive up to 50% off items in their online shop and get access to exclusive members-only items, free shipping, and size exchanges. The way to get started with them, go to 54club.com. You spell out 54 club.com right now. Enter promo code CAPSPACE, a familiar one, of course, since we discuss it ad nauseum on the program here. 54club.com enter promo code capspace they'll give you 50 off your first month's package plus a free pair of sunglasses and that capspace code of course lets them know that you came from us which is important to keep them coming back and sponsoring the show 50 off your first package at 54club spelled f-i-v-e-f-o-u-r club.com promo code capspace yeah and so beal i think it has had some okay moments defensively in the playoffs but not a guy you look at as a stopper and then otto porter despite being the recipient of a max contract a tough guy to me i mean he's certainly a valuable player that's why he got that offer sheet from brooklyn sacramento was going to offer him the same thing having a guy who's okay on defense and okay on offense on the wing is an extremely valuable player in today's nba but for him it's really tough to build a high level contender i think with him as your three man because he's just not really enough of a stopper against the best wings that you're gonna have to deal with like a lebron james for example gordon hayward now with the the celtics uh obviously if you get to the finals kevin durant or Kawhi leonard and so jimmy butler although thankfully he's now out of the eastern conference as as is paul george so it's not as much of a weakness now in the east maybe as it was but it's really hard when you don't have a stopper at either the two or the three to be an elite defensive team especially when you get into that playoff crucible 
Right. I think that's true. I would say that Porter is a very good help defender, but his one-on-one defense does leave a lot to be desired. And if Beal was <clears throat> sorry, if Beal was three inches taller, then it wouldn't be a problem, but he's not. Uh, I think the hope was that Kelly Oubre could get to that level, but um, you know he's got to get there. He's not all the way there yet. I think he, again, is another one of those. In spurts, he can be that guy, but um, he's also not a great offensive player at this stage. Uh, and then you can play small. You know, I think that would be their best shot to build a better defense is if he can really make the leap and they can play small more often. Um, I wouldn't think they'd start it. Um, but like, I think there's potential if Uber can be trusted and can hit some more shots that you could play Porter and Morris and be pretty switchy against some of those teams and then between Porter, Oubre and Morris you may you can kind of switch off with those tough assignments but they're not there yet and until unless they get there I agree it's sort of hard you know I think the hope was that Scott Brooks would come in and he he's a defensive coach and you would kind of cover up some of these issues with the scheme instead what happened was is that he really helped the offense out a lot more ironically than the defense uh, you kind of coax them into shooting better shots. And, you know, maybe in year two, Scott Brooks will be able to focus defensively. But the defensive problem is a key because with the way they rebound and run, if they're not getting stops, it really takes a lot away from what makes them so dangerous. You know, they have a good half-court offense, but what they really have that is unstoppable is their transition offense. Right. And, you know, when they're grabbing, I think that's what Scott Brooks keeps trying to pre- stress to them. It's like, you guys realize that you're making your life way easier if you try harder on defense. But you're right, the talent isn't quite... Right there yeah and you mentioned the half court offense too john wall is a, an unbelievable transition player but in the half court he's capable of being shut down i think to some degree because he's not a guy who's just going to blow by someone one-on-one the jumper is you know he can get that shot off but it's not extremely reliable though it has improved and then if you're doing doing pick and roll you know if you don't have the personnel to switch it then obviously Wall's going to carve you up but the lack of a jumper there and then you're kind of reduced to Beal coming off of screens as well so it's it's definitely a good half-court offense but it's not one where you're like oh man we just have no way of stopping these guys there's this individual matchup that we just can't deal with yeah that's probably true I would say again you can edit that shit out um I would say no that's not that's not gonna happen by the way (laughs) on this show we we, people's uh throat clearing coughing it's all we we just give them the raw stuff here uh all right I'm sorry (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to lean into it then. I'm going to have all sorts of noises during my answers. Um, What was I saying again? Uh, Uh, Yeah, we're talking about wall and and uh, the the half court offense and not necessarily having any individual matchups that like absolutely terrify. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, I think they're trying to figure that out by having Beal be a playmaker and working on walls off ball game. I thought he made strides as a spot up shooter, but you're you're right. It's very fairly ordinary half court offense. It's not bad not good where their extraordinary is in on the break and so that that i think is also why they are such a spurt team you know they'll have these moments where they look unstoppable and then they'll have these moments where they look really not that great and i think that's a big reason why so let's talk about some of the new additions here so just to run through them they traded the number 52 pick for tim frazier hopefully someone who will solve their backup 
point guard issues. Not an amazing guy, but someone who's been effective in, in his NBA career and uh, certainly a heist to me for the number 52 pick, which is unlikely to become something. They also signed Mike Scott, a, a good low cost flyer at, at age 28, uh, to maybe give him a, more of a stretch four element off the bench. And then the only free agent signing for above the minimum was Jody Meeks uh, for 3.3 million this year, player option for next year. Uh, how do those guys fit in to what they're trying to do? Do they address some of the weaknesses we were talking about? Well, they certainly address back a point guard as best as they could. You know, you're not getting anyone better than Tim Frazier with the resources they had, and they had a lot of needs. Um, I don't know if like Tim Frazier is someone I want to trot out there for 15 minutes in a playoff game, but I think he's pretty serviceable. He can handle the ball, um, play make a little bit, which should free, I think, the need necessarily to pin that on Beal and or wall and have them prop up a lot of guys so that should be good for the regular season i think meeks is a helpful addition if he stays healthy which is a big question um i think he will fit yeah, better do, than do you know how many games meeks has played over the last three years i'm gonna guess under 50 uh you're talking about average or total no total okay it's not quite that bad he, in detroit in 2014-15 he actually played 60 but then three games in 15-16 and then 36 last year in orlando yeah, yeah and it it's not this organization doesn't have a great track record of signing injury prone players to those yeah. kinds of no, contracts. They no, they don't. So, so I think a lot of people uh, are worried me about that. <laughs> yeah. So I think people are worried, but it, I mean, if he's healthy, it was a, it's a good addition. I think again, you now can split up Wall and Beal a little bit more. You you're giving Wall some shooting as opposed to having to play those two point guard lineups that just didn't make any sense, but they had no choice last year. Uh, I was less of a fan of the Mike Scott signing because I would have liked to have seen someone with more maybe three four ability to kind of push Ubre. Um, I'm not quite sure who that player was. I think guys like Cephalo. Osha went for more than they could have paid. I think Gerald Henderson would have been good, but as we see now, he has the hip problem. Shabazz Muhammad is still out there. That might be interesting, but I, he can definitely shoot the ball. I, I would have liked to see someone who had a little more positional versatility. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, they can't be too much worse than what they had, but I'm not sure they're like the biggest way the bench can improve is if Kelly Oubre takes another step forward, and to a lesser extent Sadoransky, who kind of lost his way in the rotation, even though I thought he was effective at times um those are the if you're looking for ways to improve like i think those are your best bets i'm not sure the guys they brought in are really the best bets yeah that's a good point and where is sadaransky now as a player i think most people are, are not really familiar with him uh, is he a point guard is he gonna uh, play on the wing you know you watch him he doesn't really look like he's doing that much but they the, the uh stats were good as far as him being on the floor yeah I, I thought he should have played more i think you know he gave an interview where they were talking about using him more as a wing um and i i guess the problem obviously is offensively he's just very rough he has a bad shot a reluctant shooter and a slow shot um he's not really much of a finisher um but he can kind of be pesky at times uh on defense and you know, obviously they don't have a ton of confidence in him. Otherwise, they wouldn't have traded for Tim Frazier. Um, you know, they would have just given him the backup point guard job. So I'm not quite sure where or whether he fits in. Um, but I think they just don't have a lot of guys who are kind of long and can guard up on the team. And I think if Sadoransky can guard ones and some twos. Uh, so I think that would make him valuable. I think just the problem is, you know, especially now that they have Meeks there as well, who can play the two. It just doesn't look like there's really a spot for him. 
Yeah, maybe so. And perhaps it'll just be a competition between he and Frazier because it's so difficult, as you mentioned, with that shot to play him off the ball. But, you know, it does seem like good things happen when he's out there. He makes he gets to a lot of 50-50 balls. He's not some elite stopper, but he will at least try defensively. And he, he's a, a smart player. He's played at a high level in Europe for a long time. And Scott, I think I liked him a little bit better than you just because for he's a guy who's been a quality rotation player at times in his career. Not last year. He was awful last year but just for for the minimum as just a straight up flyer and to provide just a pure stretch four that you got to guard out there i think you know so so they're not playing jason smith at the four off the bench and i know they do uber a little bit there too but that's uh that could be difficult as well just in terms of the number of minutes that, that everyone's playing um let's talk about uber too i mean as another guy who in theory can get better this year uh, i know you know this but i think you just misspoke this is gonna be his third season um, oh it's only his third season season ha good yeah <laughs> that's right i did misspeak uh, yeah, i knew that uh, all along <laughs> <laughs> um but a career 30 percent three-point shooter actually regressed in that area uh, although he did take a few more uh, though not really on a a per minute basis last season so you talked a little bit about his defense but is there hope for him to become a, a quality offensive contributor given the shooting lapses yeah i'm not sure i mean if he bumps the difference between like 30 and 35% from three is significant and also not too many more made threes. You know, if he's a 35% shooter instead, I think that makes him so much more valuable. Uh, and that's not a huge step for him. I think his, his shots a little bit sort of mechanical. Uh, he's kind of just pulls it to his head, but this is why you bring in Scott Brooks. Like it's for guys like Kelly Oubre, you know, that's the player that if Scott Brooks is doing the job he should be doing, that guy's got to get better. And they're very high on him, so this is a critical year for him to step up. I'm, I am not sure he's going to be a good offensive player, though. I think the best hope, and he doesn't have the court sense of this of, of a Cephalosha, but it's an interesting comparison when you look at his three-point percentage. You know, if he can be that level of player offensively, where he's all, but then he's also elite defender, that could really help. And again, they they need him because then that pushes Otto to the four, and then that sort of changes and scrambles the game in a way that kind of benefits their transition game so you know there's hope for him to improve he's still very young i thought he made major strides last year um but he still has a ways to go and i i'm not sure like expecting like there was some talk a little bit about like well why not just let porter walk and elevate uber and like the difference between those two players offensively is massive absolutely massive yeah it's like between you and me playing pickup and i don't really play much and you're good <laughs> like <laughs> i i don't massive. play much anymore either sadly but uh <laughs> yeah so it's just huge it's a huge difference and defensively on the ball there's a difference but i don't think it's like that would not that was not a realistic option and i think again the best hope is that he's good enough to play 25 minutes and you know maybe 12 of those minutes are in subbing with porter and 12 of those minutes are with porter you know then you have a different team so it's possible i mean i just don't think offensively we're going to see him have a huge role i think you need to look for marginal improvements yeah and i think he's a got that 7-2 wingspan which of course is massive but another guy might maybe a little bit light in the shorts to guard some of the best small forwards but i i've been more impressed with his ability to get out on the floor and guard smaller players right. with his length um he, yeah, he's kind of good yeah. against point guards he had right. against yeah. isaiah thomas for a while which just meant he got bait into a zillion fouls but in theory that is what you want him for um so that's also valuable you know too i mean that that cuts the head of the snake off you know for certain teams so you know 
that that's a very valuable thing so a lot of pressure though on Ubre because the wizards have not have no other first round draft picks on their roster and i think that they haven't really used any first round draft pick other than Ubre, uh, to my recollection and they traded away for gortad in 13 14 uh they used Ubre in 15 and then they traded away for morris which i think you know it's a decent pick for with number 13 and then again they traded their pick this year to get off of andrew nicholson's contract and pick up bogdanovich for the stretch run last year so they really don't have any young talent in the pipeline other than Ubre here well yes and other than you know porter and beal who are 23 i wouldn't know how you would define them like they're still pretty young but you're right there's no like sort yeah, but, of but they're not cheap anymore i guess right maybe yeah the point there. exactly yeah they they use those first round picks as like vessels to get guys um to help the team now and you know the nice thing about morris is his contract so that wasn't a rental um but yeah I mean, they, they basically use the first round pick as a vessel to get off money and i would not surprise me if they did it again this year yeah can mahimi give them more this year well he better he didn't really <laughs> give them all that much last year um yeah i, I think he can I, it sounds like his knee is still an issue which is a concern um you know so I think he can. I'm not sure he like totally will solve a lot of their problems though, because as good as he is protecting the basket, I don't know if he's you know Brooks likes to have his bigs hedge out, and I'm not sure he's great at that. Um, but I I do think that he he can help. I, I, the ideal would be that if he's sort of still at a high level as Gortat declines, then you can play him more. Of course, that gets into the thorny issue of you know how's Gortat going to feel about losing minutes to someone that's paid more than him? Oh, he'll, which... he'll handle it fine. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he will. I, you know, just like he handled it so well at the end of the year. Um, so, but yeah, I think that he can definitely give him a lot more this year. I, I, there's a big role to play, and especially when you think about the bench, right? Like, so the bench is not obviously not doesn't have a lot of firepower, but maybe with him playing more, they can get more stops. And I think you've talked about this before in your show, and maybe it's someone else. But sometimes, like, you just kind of need your bench to sort of hold the line and scratch in a couple buckets. And you know, it's a lot easier to find a couple buckets to scratch away for two or three possessions at a time if you can play reasonable defense so that would be a way i think that he can help but it depends on how his knees are i don't really have a good read on like how serious this upcoming surgery is yeah what is that that surgery supposed to be just another like cleanup basically like i mean it sounds like he's he's at the point now where you know there's not a lot of cartilage left in that knee right i i actually don't know to be honest like scott brooks sort of just casually tossed it out there during a press conference that's right i remember that yeah i mean i don't really know exactly what's going on there well because he had the surgery last year right and then he was one of these oh yeah i'll be back in four to six weeks right yeah that that always works out great uh but and then he was (laughs) rehabbing and he had prp done and just the fact that another surgery now is required apparently the problem was not really fixed he did not look to be himself in the playoffs although i thought he actually did help them even in his hobbled state during the the end of the regular season so yeah i mean I, I think it's at the point now where like maybe if he can give you 10 or 15 minutes you feel good about it but counting on him for more than that with some of the health issues he's had and the decline in performance you know i think you're lucky to get beyond that yeah and then the considers contract too like are they gonna try to use you know they are currently over the luxury tax which would be a first for them uh i think they're what five or six million over you you know the numbers better than i do um you know do they try to use some sort of 
asset to move off him and get off some money, you know, if it doesn't work out and how much of an asset would you have to attach for that contract? And yeah, I mean, I don't know. think one first round pick is going to get it done, frankly. Unless, I, mean, I don't think so either. If he could have like a good year and be at least like a, a guy who looks like, all right, maybe this guy's a $7 million player who's making 16 million, then maybe you can get off of that money with one first round pick. But, you know, I'm not sure that, that that's going to happen. And by the way, you mentioned their finances as of this moment they are 6.8 million over okay. the tax and uh would owe 10.6 million in tax payments yeah that's not an insignificant number you know um i think they'll pay it if they're good but if it starts to go south um you have to wonder i hope it doesn't obviously uh, i think i think if they have the season they did last year they'll keep they'll pay it you know but again they did they've never paid it and they made a big fuss about how they are paying in how serious that makes them and that's good um but they have the whole year to get under if they need to as well so you have to keep that in mind yeah and really not a ton of these teams have uh space to just take that contract on at this point maybe chicago if they send a little bit back but it's uh you think that those teams Teams probably have bigger fish to fry in the summer of, of 2018 I, I would be very surprised if they are able to move him i mean maybe maybe it could take on the conception of you know they would get back like an evan turner or something but also have to give up a first round pick like someone else from the summer of 2016 who's just slightly less overpaid than mahimi is and then you give up a pick for for the privilege of getting someone who's just like a little bit better but still overpaid like other than that i don't see them getting off that money until the summer but i've certainly been proven wrong on those but before um what about uh regression candidates on this team well i think gortat is one because he's getting up there in age um here's an interesting question um using their their ages uh, and their spot on the development curve you would expect beal and porter to get even better but they also shot the ball extremely well last year you know it's possible that they just don't shoot it as well but are still quite good um other than that i'm not sure they're really a ton of regression candidates i, I mean i would think there are a lot of like stay the same candidates I'm not sure how they're kind of a team of people right in the middle of their primes. For the most part, if you take Gortat away, um, they don't have a ton of super old guys. We talked about Mahimi as well, but, you know, they also don't have a lot of super young guys. Like, I think Morris and Wall, you would expect to maintain their level of performance. And with Beal and Porter, it's sort of a battle between the natural aging curve and, you know, maybe they just miss a few more shots. Yeah, that could be true. And maybe Porter can get better defensively. You know, I'm not sure how much stronger he can get with his body type. I think those are the type of improvements they're going to make. For Porter, to me, the big thing for him is just getting more shots up from three-point range. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's always been – he hits a great percentage from out there. But, I mean, I think he would be more valuable if he just jacked up more shots and didn't worry as much about the percentage. If he were hitting 38% but could really increase his attempt rate, that might be something that would really – be nice but he's he's always still to me has been more comfortable in the corners this guy has a shot that's not a natural nba three-point shot he's always been more comfortable taking long twos and and maybe also like him working on his post game that would be another way to improve because teams are really getting away with hiding guys on him he had varied success as i recall posting up on isaiah thomas but he's you know obviously smaller than a lot of point guards but teams would love to be able to say all right we're gonna put our two best guys on the wing on 
on Beal and Wall, and then you know Porter, you want to try and post up fine, go ahead. So if he could just start to kill those matchups, I think that would really help them. I think so too. Um, the one thing is obviously he's a great offensive rebounder, so that's another way he can kind of hurt smaller guys. He has to get better at attacking closeouts and just driving past people. I think it's all connected to needing to get more shots up, you know. But if he's if you can close out hard to him, knowing that his release takes a little bit of time and you're maybe he's maybe not a threat to go from three point line to the rim and one or two dribbles i think that that's something he needs to continue to work on and i think he will you know every year he's sort of added a little bit more to his game you know two years ago it was a matter of feeling comfortable just shooting threes and then last year he kept the attempt rate up and he made more and now this year maybe it's more so get even more threes up and be more dynamic off the dribble and off closeouts um so i'm pretty confident he'll get better at that um i think the problem obviously is defensively but offensively there are a lot of great tools there and you know he's still growing into his body he's still 23 like these are the kinds of players that brooks does a really good job with and i think he's already done a really good job with him and now he's comfortable with the money that he's got so i expect him to be better i think it's possible beal hits fewer shots um but again it's funny you mentioned like the the whole thing of getting more shots up because if you look at Beal's percentages they're very much in the like okay 37 38 percent type of range but he got shots up and that was i think the big difference with brooks is that he was just telling him yeah you know what shoot those threes off the dribble like i don't care if they don't go in as much you become more dangerous and then that opens up the free drives to the rim you know just the shot distribution was all different with him and you know now it's time for porter to have that sort of thing happen to him as well yeah to give you some stats by the way uh, on those players uh beal 51 percent from beyond 16 feet 40 percent from three and then porter shot 50 percent on twos outside of 10 feet and 43.4 percent from three so those are really numbers that will be pretty difficult to sustain i think but there are some other guys who didn't shoot it as well like markeith morris maybe it was a little bit below where he could have been on line two jason smith another guy who was absolutely insane shooting the ball last year you think he can actually take some more threes finally he didn't didn't take that many of them uh but actually upped his rate to uh 24 of his shots from three-point range and he hit 47 percent of them and he's always been a great shooter from long two so if he could stretch it yeah. out Uh, then maybe he become especially if he's going to play as a backup five then he could maybe be a a weapon as well yeah it was a that's an underrated key to why that they went 15 and 2 during that stretch is that he was taking and making threes and he's become a cult hero um somewhat unrelated note on markeith morris that i think is is really interesting is if you the people that know the team well know that he's the barometer of the team you know when he plays well they play well when he doesn't play well they really struggle um and so he's a really interesting player player from that perspective he was i think i, I was looking this up um earlier uh in wins during the year they were a plus 9.6 when he in wins he had a 58 59 percent true shooting in losses it goes down to 53 uh oh no that's the whole team morris it's a little uh, my stats are all off like i said this is all staying in um but <laughs> it's it's I, a significant difference um yeah. in wins and losses for him and it, with shooting percentages with involvement involvement and with his like propensity to get into foul trouble as the uh, that's sort of the thing that oh, God. really cost the them. playoffs were just unbelievable he got into foul trouble every damn game and of course he suffered that really bad sprained ankle in game one obviously against the, 
Celtics and heroically came back from that but you know was not the same guy but especially during the Atlanta series like Paul Millsap was just like eating his lunch every single time yeah and you know but they also had a lot of moments when in their wins where he played really well um so it's it, he's just such an up and down player and the large it's also the same sort of thing he played his best ball of the season when they went 15 and 2 now chicken versus egg I, I don't know but I think when you think about like the attitude of the team and you think about the way they play um and they the, they kind of love him inside the locker room but he's like very much an avatar for the team as a whole you know they can be really great and they can be really really struggle and the big pet project for scott brooks continues to be to get morris to be more consistent but then again we've been talking about that for seven years now that's just sort of everyone's pet project um but i thought it was interesting the stats that i totally botched reading that maybe you can go find and people can go find like there's a major difference in when he plays well the team wins uh and when he doesn't play well the team loses um so we talk about sort of internal development up or down it's he's not young but that's always going to be i think sort of what side of the pendulum is markeith morris on at this stretch of the season is he in his good phase or he's in his phase where he's sort of taking himself out of games that's pretty parallel to how well the team does so if the team makes a big jump maybe that's probably because markeith morris had more stretches of good play than bad play yeah 54 percent true shooting for morris overall not you would hope that he could do better with the the guys that are setting him up now part of that is because he played a lot with that second unit and was asked to create offense maybe more than you know i mean he can get it along two out of the post but that's never going to be amazing but if you don't have that many options with wall out of the game maybe you have to go to that um i'd also say too with the starters because porter is a finisher you know morris is basically your third option even if efficiency wise porter is massively dwarfs him because you need they need somebody to throw the ball on those possessions and they have in a way it's not the end of the world if morris's efficiency is that bad there's a nice yin yang with porter now um where if you disrupt the balance I mean, that's the whole thing about the Wizards starting lineup is that it's just so well balanced. You know, you take a few shots here, take a few shots there. It could disrupt the whole chemistry of it. So but the problem is that Morris takes himself out of games with foul trouble and just other stupid crap um, sometimes. And then that disrupts the balance a little bit. So when it's all working, like it isn't the end of the world if his efficiency is so bad, I think is what I would say. It's valuable that he allows Porter to play to his strengths, I would say. John Wall get better in this his age 27 season had a a career best season offensively 54% true shooting which is about league average but was comfortably a career high for him what was it that enabled him to be more efficient last season and can he continue that I think the big key was that the year before because in part of the double of the knees issues he played through and in part because I think just out of control whatever his finishing at the rim was pretty suspect i don't remember the exact percentage but it was not great last year his finishing was very good well i think it was around 63 or 64 percent because i do a lot of research and i check the stats before i talk um i could be spewing out of my ass but i know that it was much better he just was much better at actually finishing layups around the basket you know and sometimes when he misses those layups he's like flying in out of control and it kickstarts a break so you can see how that makes a huge difference when he's making more of those and that combined with i think again a little bit better off ball play a little bit better spot up shooting makes you more efficient and if he can continue to shoot 64 63 65 percent around the basket and if he's more explosive and if he can even up 
up that number, then sure, he can continue to get better. I, I don't think it's down to his jump shot anymore. Um, you know, obviously, if he improves as a shooter, he becomes a little bit better in ISO situations, he can get better. But, um, you know, the fact that he's driving in, because he drives to the hoop so much, and now he's actually finishing and attempting to finish with craft and strength because of his knees, that makes him so much better. And I think the question, obviously, is if his knees can continue to hold up that way, you know, or if those issues resurface, like how much does that affect his game in that regard? Yeah, well, I got bad news for you. The stats, at least on basketball reference, uh, do not support what you said. And in fact, it's only by one one hundredth of a percentage point. Wait, but, that can't be true. Uh, maybe it's on well, layups. Maybe it's on layups. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's true. I, I think but, that was but it. The, what does support your point, though, is that he got to the foul line a lot more than he had the previous three seasons, basically more than he had since his first three years when he was just like put his head down and go and slam into guys. And that's like kind of all he had. So he got at 37% free throw rate. So that would support the idea that he's getting to the line more. And I think like getting to the foul line more on those plays at the basket show that you're exhibiting more craft, that you're not just like going in to the basket as fast as you can and just kind of throwing something up. So I think that supports it. But, and I mean, he's been pretty much right around the same level his whole career, like right at 60%, at least per basketball reference, except for uh, that 13-14 season. So, uh, I mean, but also like subjectively, if he's taking more shots there, and that's what is really captured in that. He took 29% of his shots in the restricted area in 15-16, but then up that to 38% right. last year. And he's getting to the foul line more. So he's definitely right. been attacking the rim more effectively. Uh, I, I mean, and you're certainly a better finisher if you're taking more shots there even if you're shooting the same percentage because presumably the shots you're taking there are, are more difficult right and i want to say his layup percentage was way higher and he must have slumped at the end i, d- I just remember tracking this yeah. at different points and i must not have updated it but yeah no i mean that that's a huge part of it free throw the whole team shot more threes and layups last year brooks especially i mean the same thing happened to beal is he took way fewer of those 16 foot like kind of come off the screen and jack and he got to the rim and got to the free throw line a lot more and they continue to do that if porter continues to do that they'll all get better um but we'll have to see exactly if that is the case so we've really hit i think on all the potential like playing time issues but what do you think will be brooks's crunch time lineup and and what would be your crunch time lineup for the squad i think the safe bet is they'll play their starters in crunch time that's what they did most of last year um Obviously, that means Gortat is playing in crunch time. Um, I think if, if Kelly Oubre can improve, I think it would be a great crunch time lineup that you saw occasionally last year. And I don't have the stats on this because, again, I don't prepare this shit. That's right. Um, you're, you're coming on here for free. So uh, I, I promise <laughs> I promise when I come on your podcast, I will prepare just as hard. Please do. Um, I, pr- I appreciate that. You know what? I'm actually going to look this up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some research here. I'm going to look up what the, the lineup data on this lineup was. But I remember thinking that the small lineup with Morris at the five and Ubre and Porter together was a really intriguing look. And I'm going to see exactly how well they did. Because, um, uh, you know, let's see. You can pause, edit this stuff out. Uh, Beal... Be Beal. Yeah, you know, if you're just silent, then it'll just automatically edit up, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, oh, I just hate I hate navigating this. Um, oh, not Quartet. What am I doing? M. Morris. Yeah. So the, yeah, there you go. Twenty. They played fifty-two minutes, which is not much. You'd like to see more. And that lineup was plus twenty-two point four. Yeah. One hundred twenty-eight offensive rating for that lineup. Um, so if they can, if Ubre can make take the next step, and you can see that lineup more, I think that's a really intriguing, impossible lineup to stop. You can go five out, and you have some switchability there with those three players. I think in an ideal world, that's a crunch time lineup. It's just that you need Ubre to play better to do that. You know, well, you can't. And against Cleveland and Boston, that I think they're going to need that to be able to have any chance of stopping anybody because Gortat is just going to be too slow against mm-hmm. Al, Al Horford at center or if Cleveland goes with Kevin Love it's at, at center or lineups that have Channing Fry at center as well so if you're going to stop anybody like I mean it's not not that Markeith Morris is some world beater at center but he can at least move his feet and switch if necessary and they do at least have Wall is a big enough guy where if he's switching he at least can like put up some resistance you know it's not like they got Kyrie Irving or Isaiah Thomas at the one so well they've, in they've theory, got enough Wall, yeah in Wall kind of gives yeah. up on switches a lot but yes in theory yeah he does he does I've noticed that I mean like he'll just like he'll do like the try to like poke it around from behind mm-hmm. or go for the strip but you know if that became if it's in the playoffs and that became a larger part of their strategy hopefully you could get better yeah I mean there's no reason you shouldn't be better at that I'm sure in a high leverage situation but but yeah I think again that's their best chance if that's if, if Uber is at the level that you can play that lineup and you can trust him then they have a fighting chance because Horford kills him all the time he did going back to his days in Atlanta he just he's because of his ability to pick and pop it's just he destroys them and he did in the playoffs as well even indirectly um you know he missed some shots sometimes but he just stretches them out and you know Mahimi's not going to solve that problem either and so and Jason Smith's not going to solve that problem either so and like you said those are their two best top competitors right now that's their only shot and we'll have to see if Rubri's up to the challenge uh, big strengths for this team. Well, the the transition offense is second to none, except for the Warriors. So I guess second to one, technically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, had to had to drop one of those in. Um, that's really tough. I think their their ability to just stretch the floor and shoot, you know, especially when they go small, you know, now that they are actually shooting threes at a high clip, and then their ability to stretch you out and get to the rim, that's really really valuable. Um, Wall's playmaking ability is still really really tough. I, more more teams can solve it by switching, but I think they're working well. They have ways to adopt to that. The Wall Gortat pick and roll is still really tough and against most base defenses, you know. I'd say those are their biggest strengths, you know. And again, this, they they can create this crescendo when they get stops where it's like stop, score, stop, score, stop, score, and suddenly you're out of the game and the entire game has changed in a minute and a half. You know, the Warriors are on a whole nother level with that. But other than the Warriors, there aren't that many teams that have that ability. And it's just when that happens, there's very little you can do because they just have so many weapons that fit well together. I would say that's their biggest strength. Yeah, that Walgore top pick and roll, their chemistry now, they've been together, I think, for four years. I mean, where, where Gortat is just so good at finding an angle where if he'll be coming down the lane, he'll kind of reach back behind 
behind him wall will just put it behind him he'll reach mm-hmm. back and then pivot towards the basket and lay it in just to create that passing angle it really is beautiful stuff and Gortat of course one of the most accomplished screeners in the league either setting up Beal coming off those pin downs or with wall of course as well I think yeah the there aren't that many I mean the D it's hard to point to anything defensively that that's a huge strength uh what do you see as uh, the weaknesses that are, are going to be an issue for Scott Brooks yeah I think defensively is the big one um their ability to stop the perimeter uh you would hope that their perim protection might improve with Mahimi uh they sort of they they, they don't they kind of turn on and off a little bit um they're very proud in your face type of people but I think that sometimes their focus wanes a little and they play they, they sort of play in spurts that's why I think Scott Brooks is such a great perfect coach for this team because he's so on the one hand he's very even keeled publicly on the other hand he's very regimented behind the scenes I remember talking to Kelly Oubre when I was down there at the end of the year for the story I did and he was saying that Scott Brooks is militant it feels militant there and you wouldn't associate that with Scott Brooks right off the bat but that is exactly how he is behind the scenes you know and so they have a tendency to sort of float a little bit. Um, and I'd also say that because their half-court offense against really good defenses and like tight situations can kind of devolve, uh, that's a weakness that they've had for a few years and they'll continue to have unless, you know, Wall becomes a slightly better player uh, against isolations. And I imagine they'll continue to do that because, again, they're just they're sort of a very boomer bust like again when they're in rhythm, it all flows. But they need to kind of have something that's kickstarts it to really get it yeah. going. And they're very enjoyable with you know, the dressing in all black and like they like to talk <laughs> a lot of shit. But yeah, that can kind of play into the volatility. The two that I would look at one we hit on and these go in concert with one another is the depth and then the other one i think is just overall health last year no starter played uh, less than 76 games and you have to imagine wall beal porter those three guys have struggled with injuries at times in the past porter seems to be past his beal had all those stress issues wall had two knee surgeries coming into last year has had some other issues where he's missed significant time due to his knees and so you have to imagine that their health is going to be a little bit worse this season and then that's going to put a lot of onus on their depth which is somewhat of a weakness but due to the fact that they don't have many young cheap options and also because they're kind of consigned to luxury tax hell for the time being and didn't have a lot of resources to add i agree with all that uh it is worth noting that they did fire their trainer and promoted their assistant trainer last year and they've changed a lot of their training methods uh and injury prevention they make a big deal out of this um obviously that's not a panacea but i do think there's a connection between the way they the sure. health of the team and all that and this year will be a good test to see like were they just lucky last year or is there a real change going on that is affecting you know in particular with in, with Beal's stress injuries um i think another factor too is you know you talk to people with the team and they randy whitman was so kind of had these long practices and really worked them hard man hours when they weren't playing games and scott brooks's approach is let's let's do a shorter practice but harder and i think that is also has an effect on player health as well um especially in beale's case so and we'll see i think you're right that it, they had a remarkably healthy year for their key players but that also may be something that they've addressed and they can fix it's sort of hard to know exactly what's going on there yeah just even if you assume that they're going to be an average team though having no starter miss more right. than six games like you you would expect some regression there just because that it's very difficult to stay that healthy over the course of multiple seasons just in right general. especially also playing the minutes they do so um yeah i, I think you're 
you're right. Um, and but if they have another healthy season, then they've obviously done something that uh, we're missing. We'll have to see. Um, all right, let's take a quick commercial break here, and then we'll be right back with uh, Mike Prada's SB Nation certified <laughs> predicted record. For, you make it sound for... so so certified right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll be right back after this. So if you need a way to quickly earn some extra cash, I'm not sure what a better way to do that is than driving for Lyft. I actually have been using Lyft as a passenger since 2013. I happen to like their drivers better than any other ride sharing service for quite a long time until very recently. They're the only ones that offered in-app tipping. So that shows you how much they care about their drivers. You flip it on when you want to work, you turn it off when you don't. So if you have unexpected medical bills or need to buy your kids braces, you could even do it for a charitable donation. If you want to do people from all walks of life, all ages are driving for Lyft. They have their express pay feature. So anytime you have $50 in your account, you can cash out. Here's how it works with them. First off, you go to lift.com slash cap space. Easy to remember that slash cap space URL, of course. And if you do that, you can get a $500 new driver bonus. They'll do a background check, check out your vehicle, and then you'll have a discussion with another Lyft driver in your area as a mentor. And then you're ready to go. Once again, that's lift.com slash cap space. The URL lift.com slash cap space. Limited time only. Terms apply. SB Nation certified, man. <laughs> That's so nice of you. All right. So, Mike, let's. Uh, I'm actually going to go first. I, I keep, I usually try to ask the other person first, but I'm going to say, actually, because I, I don't want to be accused of piggybacking off of, of your pick and just going slightly lower, I'm going to say that they actually will have a worse record this season, paying them for 47 wins. Uh, yeah, I think that's possible. I would say if we're looking best worst case, I think the best case is that Beal and Porter take another step forward. They stay relatively healthy. You know, Mahimi's relatively healthy their bench helps and they can get in the 50s and you know boston takes a bit to gel cleveland takes a bit to gel and they have a higher seed uh, and they're able to have home court against one of them in the second round and beat them and i think the worst case would be that there are a lot of more injuries and they're further down than 47 wins they're you know they get passed by milwaukee and a healthy miami and those types toronto and those types of teams uh yeah 47 i would go a little higher than that I, i'm gonna say i'm gonna say they hit the fi- five on the dot but i i think that that's the range that we're looking at 45 to 50 wins functionally there's not a huge difference between those um and like you said there there are a number of reasons that you would expect regression from the health from the shooting that they had from the lack of sort of one other than Ubre, one person who's like expected to uh, guaranteed to be a lot better than they were um and also because like we talked about the jump they were really a great team for third for 17 games and a pretty average team for the other uh 65 so i think it's reasonable i'm gonna go a little higher because i'm a little more optimistic but yeah we're in the same well, range uh, you know i if anything i think i might be a little higher because if they're starting from a 46 win baseline from a year ago you know i don't think they replaced bogdanovich who was only there for you know 25 games or or whatever it was uh, and so so you're basically saying just in terms of the quality of team they are they're going to be four wins better so where does that come from i think it comes from well first of all i don't think bogdanovich is much of a loss even though he's 
shot yeah. well. Like he defensively, he was kind of a mess. You look, I don't, he kind of disrupted the rise of Ubre a little bit because he plays a very similar position. Um, yeah. so I don't think they're going to miss him at all. I think the reason they go up is that again, they they were really you think of them as in an aggregate of forty six win team, but they were kind of a bunch of teams in one. And I think Beal and Porter will continue to improve. I'm confident, especially in Porter's case. Um, I think they'll continue to get better. Uh, I think Ubre will continue to get better with internal improvement. Uh, and I don't really see, other than Gortat, like one player is really going to get a lot worse. So when you combine all those factors, plus the East is not as good. I know that doesn't necessarily make a huge difference in the win-loss record, but um, they are going to be some more free wins on their schedule in a way that I don't think their schedule last year set up because it was started so weirdly and then it was easy for a while and then it, suddenly they're on the road like a ton of times. Um, I just think it, I think they'll pick up a few spare wins while being around the same quality of team. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. I certainly see how they could improve because they have this youth. I'm thinking that there's just going to be a little bit of a regression in terms of the health. I am less optimistic that either of those guys can take a big leap and I think it's really the, the health and the bench and also the defense as well. What do you think they finish in offense and defense for your yeah, 50 win team? That's a good question. And you know, if I'm smart, I think about all this before I make a prediction. Um, but you can you can edit it if you want. Uh, well, and our the uh, Wizards limited upside hasn't happened yet, so uh, maybe I will <laughs> by then. Uh, let's see, what did they rank last year? They were uh, like 19th in defense or something. Yes, yeah, seventh per Basketball Reference, which can be a little bit off from NBA.com, but seventh in offense, 20th in defense. Uh, well, so if they get to 50, they got to improve a little bit in both. I think they can get to fifth in offense and like 17th in defense or fifth, sixth in defense, you know, that would probably get them there. I mean, the best offenses in the league this year are going to be, you know, Golden State, obviously Houston, um, you know, who else was at the time? Cleveland will certainly be up there. I I mean, I think those, I don't see any way that the Wizards can catch those teams, right? but maybe, but maybe best case scenario, they, I think fifth is probably about right. I mean, Denver certainly is going to be right. I mean, there's going to be a lot of great offenses. Denver as well. So yeah. last year, the Clippers were fourth. I think they're going to take a pretty big drop. Yes. Um, Boston will probably rise as well. They were slightly ahead. Toronto was sixth. And, you know, they're going to be worse, I think. I think they're going to be worse, too. And then you look at teams below them. I mean, Portland could be better. Um, but I'm not sure I see like a ton out there that yeah. are going to be better from below. So, you know, I think NBA.com has a Wizards in ninth in offense just behind Boston and San Antonio. So I think it's possible. I mean, I, they're not touching the top three, but I think you mix in all those other teams. Uh, there's a chance they finish fourth or fifth in offense. And then defensively, you look at uh, the teams that were below them that are expected to improve. You would think Minnesota will um, for sure. Probably Cleveland will get better. Um, but other than that, you're looking at a lot of, I mean, Denver, I guess, will get better, but they have a ways to improve as well. Yeah. Um, and then you have some teams like Indiana is going to be worse defensively. Uh, do you for, think there's any way they're in the they're in the top half of the league in defense? There's a way, sure. And I think if they really want to be taken seriously, they have to be. Uh, yeah, I, would I, not bet, I would not bet on it, but I think it's possible. Let's say 25% chance, 30% chance. Yeah, because, yeah, if, they're, if they don't get, I mean, really, if they really want to be 
taken seriously of like you know and this is their team obviously now with the moves that they've made if they want to actually get into being a finals contender you got to be in the top 10 in both offense and defense and I don't know that I see that for this group maybe if Ubre gets a lot better and, and I mean Markeith I think is a, is a really a key defender for them as well and you mentioned how things can really vacillate for him there also but I, I think right now they're in this mode where hey their offense is pretty damn good they can be very difficult to stop if they get out in transition they're definitely a team to be feared but it's hard to imagine them getting into a situation where they're a favorite against either boston or cleveland at this point just because i think they they have too many holes you know i agree and and, i mean nothing wrong with that obviously i mean this is a team that if they can have the season they had last year for the next four or five years you know that's that's better than uh you know 80 percent of the league is doing yeah and i just to piggyback off that point because that was the subject of what i wrote about uh in may when i went down there is when you consider the history of the franchise and the lack of activation for to use a buzzword marketing buzzword um around the fan base i'm I'm kind of ashamed i use that word but you know what i mean if they can be i think they've sort of made their bed a little bit with like or accepted their fate as like we're gonna be a team in the conversation they're very big on like you know we want to be on national tv we want to be talked about the word ted leonson and they are on national tv i think they're probably like third in the east in terms of national tv games this year yeah absolutely i mean they're very big on like perception of them being a team that's interesting that have team as leonsis i think told me and if they don't win a title but they maintain that level and then they use the momentum in the next era of wizards fans now they've built sort of a group of people who've seen them be pretty good who can say that you know i remember watching john wall and bradley beal they're wizards and there's sort of a culture then the next generation you would hope now you have like a a little bit more investment you have more people that are consuming the product and you have a little bit more money to play with and you're you're just sort of now a more a team that you don't think about like the lays the curse of lay boulet and all the other crap that they dealt with you think about it the first thing you think of is like yeah i remember those john wall teams those are those teams are pretty fun um I think that's where they're at. And I, I think there are a lot of Wizards fans who are frustrated because you look at uh, a couple missed opportunities where they're kind of trapped in a way in this level. Sure. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, that, that, that summer. summer of 2016, yeah, yeah it was Absolutely. just, I mean, the, those those contracts were, were pretty rough. Although, I mean, I, no revisionist history here, though, because I actually, I like the Mahimi signing. Now, I later heard that his knees were kind of known to not be that good, and, and that would have cast a different light on that signing for me. But I mean, at the time that he signed, Mahimi, was the best free agent remaining on the market at that point maybe not the best free agent for the wizards though considering their situation but yeah that's gonna hurt them i think going all the way back to the original sin i call it of the 2011 draft where they've got three of the top 34 picks and they end up with Jan Vesely, Chris Singleton, and Shelvin Mack, and none of those guys are on the team in two and a half years or whenever, however long it was, which necessitated then trading future picks to get guys who could play those positions uh, and be quality players. Otherwise, they would have been stuck in a cycle of losing. They're they're capped at a certain level unless I mean unless Wall or Beal or Porter or Ubre like really takes a step forward. But considering the history of the team, considering the l- lack of energy around the city for this team because of the history of the team again we're talking multiple generations of being irrelevant right not just like kind of fun bad but like like we're the dumping ground for crappy veterans irrelevant and so if you're able to have a generation where you're not that maybe you're not a title contender but you have players who are uniquely dc that you can rally behind that'll serve you 
well in the future. So there's almost a longer game being played here um, that is interesting, I think. Yeah, and the danger is that maybe last year could be their ceiling. You know, I mean, that's right. that that is if they're going to be the sixth seed or the seventh seed with this team. Which I, I mean, the East is so bad this year that I, I it's difficult for me to imagine even if they reach you know 45 wins could be enough to still have a top four seed this year because uh, I don't really see any huge threats to emerge below them. Maybe you could say Milwaukee or Miami or something like that. But I think most most everyone would be predicting them to be the three seed, and I probably would be in that category as well. Although I'll have to think about Miami and Milwaukee a little bit more. I haven't quite gotten there yet for right. my, uh, my 47 wins. But all right, I think that's a, a, a good one to end on. Uh, tell them about the Limited Upside podcast and, and everything else you're doing. Yeah, we, uh, we're doing our own set of team previews with members from the SB Nation family. I actually think they're a really good complement to the Dunked On previews. You these are much more in depth than the basketball and i think ours try to focus a little bit more on the fan culture uh, and how fans are feeling so i think they're both really valuable um we are i don't know when you're going to release this so i'm not going to say which team we're up uh, on su- su- sunday night okay we'll have been finished with 12 teams by then um <laughs> so uh yeah no those are that's something we're doing and you know we have a lot of big espionation projects coming that i don't want to talk too much about because i want you to be surprised uh so a lot of good stuff happening all right, well, thanks again for coming on, and uh, we'll be back in a moment with the Brooklyn preview. Danny is actually going to join me to do that one right after this. All right, so we're going to try something new here on the season previews. Devin Carpertian is not writing about the Nets anymore, and I don't know anyone else who does personally, so I figured I would try and just have Danny on, and, and we could break it down ourselves. It'll be a little bit different, not as much on the inside information stuff, but also uh, you'll get to hear from Danny, who I've greatly missed, other than that one uh halting attempt through iowa to talk about the Kyrie trade how's your trip going dude it's been great it's it's been nice to go through it and it was fun to think about the nets a little bit because while you know when the offseason we go through everybody it really did give an opportunity to kind of think about how different this team is than where they were at the end of last season or even the middle of last season yeah they are so we'll talk about some of the changes that they've made here and i guess you could start even with jeremy lynn who only played 883 minutes last year when he played there only uh, they had a negative 2.9 net rating which is pretty good to for this team overall they were negative 6.1 20 and 62 a year ago uh but they did have the point differential of a lofty 24 win team um and uh, the big news of course brooke lopez is out d'angelo russell is in they also now have damari carroll traded for justin hamilton in a salary dump but maybe he can still play a little bit uh jared allen drafted with the number 22 pick that they got in the pick swap with boston and then Alan Crabb brought over for Andrew Nicholson, who barely played for this team at all. And that was uh, getting rid of his salary maybe was good. Uh, and Crabb coming off foot surgery. But this is going to be a more respectable team as Celtics and now Cavs fans have been monitoring quite closely. Well, maybe Cavs fans for now. <laughs> we'll have to see. But, but I think that what makes the Nets so compelling for something like this is that they added a lot of depth, but they also lost their best player. So that doesn't usually happen. 
happen for a team at their place in the process. And yeah, they won 20 games last year. I think they could have won a couple more if things had broken their way. They were incredibly unhealthy last year. And to go along with what we were talking about at the beginning, I wanted to look this up before before we, we started. And when Brooke Lopez and Jeremy Lin played together last year, the Nets were only outscored by 1.1 points per 100 possession. That's pretty good for a, for a team that it was below NBA level in terms of basically every other position. So to be able to have that, and I think that speaks a little bit to, to Kenny Atkinson and what they've done. But the fundamental issue with this team is how much better, how, how much does this improvement help them in terms of wins and losses this year? I think they're on, they're, you know, they're, they're on the right path in certain ways. We've talked about it before, but I was reminded of the 15-16 Knicks and a couple of the Lakers teams in the past where it's like they got better from a talent perspective, but they're still not yeah, there. They're starting from such a, a low baseline. I guess the, the first question is, do you think they're better this year? I mean, if they are, were a 24-win team a year ago, Lynn presumably is going to play more, though he also is a trade candidate because his uh he's due 12 million or so this year and then he has a 12 million dollar player option which if i had to bet i think he probably would actually exercise that and stay in that contract but we don't know that for sure and teams maybe could uh be interested in him and trade if somebody's point guard goes down but do you think they're better this year i do because of the health issue and because they also found some things over the course of that season that i think can really help them moving forward and it's also complicated in terms of net rating versus wins and losses because I think they might pick up a few more wins at the end of the you know actually they picked up some wins at the end of the season but just by out competing teams because I think they'll be they have a little bit higher of a baseline if their guys are actually healthy because last year their guys just weren't yeah they weren't and I think Lopez certainly was important uh offensively just because of the spacing he provided really the only place that this team could go especially when Lynn wasn't healthy for one-on-one offense and I think I'm inclined to believe but I don't think it's a sure thing that they will will be better this season uh 28th ranked offense a year ago only 101.9 points per 100 and then defensively they were all the way up at 23 shockingly given some of the talent that this team has uh but they had so many minutes especially on offense last year going to just not really nba players especially and you've talked about this a ton that point guard is a position where there are a lot of guys and maybe you don't want to overpay but then if you just don't have anything there and you don't have you know like a james harden type or a kevin durant or lebron james type playing next to him which uh newsflash this team didn't uh then you just are really totally screwed offensively and they're playing isaiah whitehead and spencer dinwiddie and donald sloan at the one for most of last year even karis lavert didn't really come on until later in the year so just to not be playing those guys hardly at all and they don't really have anyone at least at the one through three and maybe even one through four that if carol is going to play some four which i suspect he probably is going to who's just like not an nba player and also even if they go small at certain circumstances i think you and i both feel that ali crab is more of a two guard than a three doing that doesn't sacrifice offense it sacrifices defense and so if they're playing crab at the three if they're going small with lynn and d'angelo russell together those things can help their offense get to a level and i think they could be in a circumstance kind of like the orlando magic where their offense was so bad at 
sabotage their defense a little bit, but they were 23. So it wasn't like they were disastrous in any way, but I think that's where they could really benefit is just if they can get up to 24th or something like that in offense, they'll just have fewer possessions in transition D and fewer possessions where they're just scrambling to get things together. Yeah. Maybe that's the the case. Now the front court obviously is going to be pretty ugly. I think, you know, it's Mozgov, Jared Allen and Quincy AC are probably your centers. AC maybe as a small ball guy, Trevor Booker still probably fit into that mix somewhere you know he's an adequate backup power forward at best um and then you've got Rondé. it sounds like the plan is to start him at the four and carol is probably the most logical backup at the four but also he's really the only pure small forward on this roster right now either if you want to say Rondé can guard small forwards uh but is really has to play the four offensively so i, I do think we're probably going to see uh mozgov shoot a ton of threes uh like kind of in similar fashion to Brooke lopez like that's something that he has flirted with at times especially towards the end of his denver career and then you know once he went to cleveland that really was clearly not his role and then la you know he barely played last year so i bet you we're gonna actually see him kind of play as like a very mini brook lopez and i think mozgov could still be semi-effective defensively uh in somewhat similar fashion to lopez he still takes up just a ton of space at the rim so i don't know that like you know i think he could be like a below below average starting center i don't think he's as bad as he looked last year in la I'm excited to see how Atkinson handles the minutes for his centers this year because their crop is just so weak and Allen is coming off an injury that if he if the best way for me if if they're healthy to do it is just to give each of them a low minute workload and just hopefully they work work hard during the minutes that they're out there. Because I think Mozgov, if you can play him 20 to 24 minutes a game, I think he can work reasonably well. And maybe you do that as a starter primarily just to, so Jared Allen can get used with backups. But if you start to slide that up to 26, 28, I think that his per minute effectiveness drops pretty significantly. Certainly the advanced stats for him were terrible in LA. Uh, and then the year before, he really was was bad in Cleveland coming off that knee surgery. All the reports were that he never got right. But he obviously was extremely effective uh, going back to, the 2014-15 season now that's he's into his 30s now and that's a good three seasons ago at this point so don't know if he can get back to that level but i mean just watching him in la it wasn't like you were watching like oh man this guy just sucks like i thought he actually was like okay out there it's just being on such a bad team his numbers were never gonna look good so i've talked about this a couple times in the reverse and it's interesting that sometimes there's somebody who's a better contract than they are a player and so people conflate the two like at points jay crowder has been this where he's such an unbelievable contract he's a very good player too that people think those are the same thing and i think with mozgov yes he's an unbelievably bad contract but he's not just a total scrub if he's healthy and engaged and put in the right place i think he can actually provide some value in that way it's a little bit of a challenge for the nets because they just don't have other options i always thought that he would be better as kind of like a, a fallback or a fail safe in that way but i'm willing to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt for now and then just be ready to completely write him off if he can't deliver well that's probably enough on mozgov why don't we talk a little bit about d'angelo russell someone who you think would get better certainly the nets have made a big bet on that happening but where was he as a player last year do we think and what could he potentially become this year and maybe even going forward beyond this year so defense is going to be an issue but i think we can just kind of throw that to the side because he's a point guard and because you know that's that's with point guards, he, he's not he as might be a shooting guard that. in this team though too interestingly enough i mean that's true and then i, I think that would actually help him defensively as 
as well because then he just he I I need to watch a little bit more of him on ball, but I could imagine that not having to deal with that kind of screening could actually help him because he's not the quickest guy for his position at the NBA level. But the biggest question with him offensively, I, I think that he can show more as a passer, and I think that having you know spacing, having a system that is more engaging for the players, and maybe you know maybe this team will be a little bit different in a couple different ways. That that can really help him. But the big, big problem with Russell that is going to be definitive for his NBA career is can he reliably create separation? Because if he can create the separation, I think he can deliver. But he hasn't done that yet, and he's going to have to do it in the next year, year and a half to show that he's a legitimate NBA starting caliber player. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Finishing at the rim, obviously, is another part. Sorry, the cat's playing with this bag. I got to move it out of the way. Uh, yeah, finishing at the rim is another part, and that really to me and how well is he going to shoot you know is he going to be a 40 percent three-point shooter he certainly has no qualms about taking three-point shots off the dribble and he's a threat but is he going to hit 35 percent of those or is he going to get up to where he was at ohio state on what was a pretty small sample he's never been one of these guys who's just like shooting 90 percent from the line and just like such a pure shooter where you're like oh this guy is just like wet every time so you know i'm not really sure that that's where he gets to you know it could be more like 36 37 percent but it gets the volume up there still needs to improve his right hand although he's taken some strides in that aspect but the biggest thing that i'm very interested to see from him is just running a pick and roll with the floor spread he's played basically every single minute of his career with two non-shooting non three-point shooting bigs on the floor with him julius randall he spent a lot of time with him obviously and a non-shooting center so kenny atkinson we know that the number one thing that he believes in from last year is getting a lot of threes up and spreading the floor and now that he's got some guys lynn and russell who can run some high pick and roll and lavert you can throw into that category too i want to see when he's they spread the floor what he's actually able to do with a lot of pick and rolls and the vision that he has because he can throw some great passes to be sure that really wow you but he also just even through in his career at ohio state he just wasn't really putting up that much in terms of assist numbers yeah i think that's a great point and something that will be worth watching i also want to see with this nets team that has a lot of guys that can actually run but whether they can really kick in some transition offense because that would be an, another nice foundation for them would be just to to get a couple of extra baskets a game and then yeah, their half court offense is going to be i think it'll be better this year than it was but that'll be another big definitive factor and that ties in with something well we could talk about Russell too but when I was thinking about this team to me the two guys that stood out the most last season in terms of versus my own expectations were Karis LeVert and Sean Kilpatrick. both of those guys have been somewhat marginalized by everything that Brooklyn did this summer yeah Kilpatrick I mean he's I think he's either 27 or 28 now uh kind of a jordan crawford type of gunner type that actually i think that there are some teams that could use someone like that that maybe a trade he could actually help some teams that just don't have the shot creation at all like the hawks actually i think could really use him on their second unit as a team that just doesn't have anyone who can create a shot i think if you're really talking about him being a high level part of an nba rotation which of course 
you know the Nets aren't going to be a high level team this year but he's got guys in front of him who are, are, are much better who have more size more distributive ability at his size so you know I think he's one of these guys who can help a bad team but doesn't necessarily help a, a good team um and, and then Levert wh- whom you mentioned yeah that's a big part of why I wasn't as into the crab deal and you and I both hated that deal because I, I thought he's a guy with some potential and maybe they are just going to play crab at the three and damn the torpedoes when it comes to defense but uh, I think overall it's just uh, crab is a shooting guard and they added another guy right on top of him whereas there's some other stuff I think they could have done with that money instead and that ties in with a big question that I have for the for the Nets this year, which is, is Atkinson going to run more of like a first unit, second unit thing, or is it going to be more nebulous? Because if they run more like lineups, even at the just the guard positions, then maybe there's minutes for Levert. Maybe they balance it out. But when you have most of your point guard responsibility going to two guys who will probably play with each other and separate – it seems like you're going to have to run a more complicated rotation, which I actually think is the best thing for the Nets, given their personnel. Maybe the centers are different, but I think you want to run the one through three a little bit more flexible until you figure out what works on this team. Yeah, we don't know who they're going to start, actually. There, there's some people have guessed. I can't remember who, but there's someone I thought actually seemed to know something about the Nets. <laughs> this is this is great. We're really giving you the inside info on this podcast. Exactly what we try to do on these season previews. But who was saying, you know, Crab will probably start at the three, and then that maybe even the guess is that Lynn would start over Russell, and Russell wouldn't start. I, I think you got to really start Russell. Like, that's the whole point of getting him. I mean, you, you took on this awful Moskov contract to get the guy uh but yeah i really don't know what their lineup is going to look like by the way here's uh some stats on d'angelo russell from last year you mentioned transition that was somewhere where he really struggled a lot as the ball handler only seven or uh 0.75 points per possession in transition and turned it over 25 percent of the time but basically he was pulling up for the jumper most of the time in transition not a guy who's going to just run it down your throat we talked about him working off the ball and he was very effective coming off screens almost a point per possession coming off screens on 58 possessions and also was able to get into the post a little bit as well that's part of why i like him at point guard and this is a team that hopefully will space the floor enough for him to spread his wings in that way also very solid coming off handoffs there's a similar action to coming off screens in some ways and also not that bad in isos 75th percentile in isos despite the fact that we've looked at him as a guy who can't really create a ton of separation and explosion he does have that height if he's being guarded by someone smaller i definitely like him the matchup much better if he's being guarded by a smaller player even if they're quicker than he is because he's got that slow pace he can use his body to get in a position shoot over guys pass over the defense when you put a guy on him who has some length I think that's when he's really can get totally shut down so I, I like him more at the one in that respect well and that's also the problem with playing Lynn and Russell together is that those guys are like pretty pretty like sized and so when a team does that then the opponent can choose to put their assignments however they want and so I think in those circumstances more often than not, teams would put their two on Russell and put their one on Lynn. Uh, let's take a quick break for a commercial here, and we'll talk a little bit more about this Nets team right after this. So you are unique. Yes, you, just uh, like I am. You don't walk like everyone, talk like everyone, or sleep like everyone. So why are mattresses sold one size fits all? Once upon a time, I actually tried one of those one-size-fits-all mattresses from another mattress delivery company. Didn't work for me at all. Both my girlfriend and I, in fact, suffered from some back pain. We ended up returning it. 
then she suggested that we try helix sleep and helix sleep this is before they were even a sponsor she just found it did the research and just made so much more sense because you can actually customize the mattress for your size your sleeping preferences with their two to three minute questionnaire we did that seven to ten days later it arrives and it's been the best mattress that i've had we have a california king that one runs a little over a thousand dollars smaller sizes are less expensive and we're not the only ones who like helix sleep better helix customers report a 30 percent improvement in overall sleep quality and they can even customize each side of the mattress for couples should they find that to be necessary shipping is totally free and you also have 100 nights to try it out and if you don't love it they pick it up for free and give you a full refund no questions asked way to get started with them helixsleep.com slash capspace that'll get you 50 dollars off your order and of course which is crucial let them know that you came from us helixsleep.com slash capspace is that url to get 50 dollars off your order once again helixsleep.com slash capspace and if you want to check out a link to all of our sponsors go to nateduncanmba.com scroll down a little bit and there's a list of all of them with a little bit about why i like each of them helix sleep certainly among those helixsleep.com slash capspace i guess one nice thing about this nets team is they don't really have any regression candidates i guess you could look maybe at trevor booker there but i don't expect him to be that big a part of, of what they're doing booker will be 30 this season and had a nice year Year, almost a 16 per it gets on the offensive glass a little bit really the only guy on this team who, who did that at all last season lopez didn't even and maybe that's something that mozgov can provide uh he's a solid offensive rebounder when he's right but you know i don't see them relying on him a ton and other than that everyone else is young enough to get better i think this team actually can be like pretty competent offensively uh it just yes it i'm just don't see how they're ever going to stop anybody that's going to be a, just a giant problem for this team because they don't have great personnel for it and some of their guys who are capable defensively are going to be put in really challenging spots you know like Rondé Hollis Jefferson talented d- defensive player long term but if he's guarding the other team's best guy every night I don't think he's, he's really ready for that yeah, at this he's, point he's probably he's probably and, better than a lot of teams have frankly in that role that's true well yeah that was that was a question that we got uh, that'll be in the Patreon mailbag about like how many wing defenders really are there and the answer is not many but the, there'll be a challenge and we'll see how Damari Carroll embraces the idea of being a real mentor because he's I don't think he's at near his peak defensively but if he can kind of help instill that value there and again you said they were 23rd last year a small point I wanted to bring up because I, I I like looking at a team's early schedule as kind of an idea of like whether this could go on, off the rails or maybe start well they have a really really soft early schedule in terms of opponents so in the first 10 games they play Phoenix twice the Lakers the Knicks and the Magic twice and the Pacers. So like it's possible because they won't have continuity but they'll ha- they'll be playing hard and if they have a good training camp that they could actually win some of these games and sometimes that can buoy a team for a little bit of a longer stretch because they build the confidence that they can compete. Yeah, of course the counter example to that is this team last year which started oh, started yeah. 4 and 5 and then they lost like you know 25 of their next 26 or something like that or, or... Well, they won a couple at the end of the yeah. year and I could totally see them having that sort of season again. Yeah, no, I mean like we felt like it was they actually might have had a chance in that last game of the year against chicago and then they just decided to to rest everybody uh so i think that you know getting whitehead out of the rotation getting spencer dinway who actually had an okay year but it probably you know is a backup point guard at best i don't know that how much he's going to play unless the, their injuries i mean they're 
Kilpatrick played 1,700 minutes last year. Randy Foy was also really below replacement level. He played 1,300 minutes last year. Luis Scola played about 500 minutes. Uh, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, who was awful for them. Uh, Joe Harris played 1,100 minutes. I mean, all all these guys, uh, Justin Hamilton played 1,200 minutes. And while it's not like they have any great shakes at center, I think uh, they're going to get more from the guys they play there this year, even if it's just Quincy Acey and they got out of Hamilton last year he had an 11 negative 11.3 net rating so just uh, all these guys who are just kind of are playing over a thousand minutes for you uh I guess the other thing too is they don't really play guys that many minutes like Lopez led the team he was the only guy on this team who was over 2,000 minutes last year but I I think just getting those guys out of there especially offensively it it wouldn't shock me if this team is like you know the 19th best offense in the league this year it wouldn't surprise me at all and also that depth is useful in terms of mitigating injury like the idea being that they're never going to be great but that they won't be sabotaged by that and that's pretty different than last year where they were you know they were okay but then well, they were okay when they had their best guys but then they just fell off a cliff and having depth at the one especially is a way of kind of stabilizing your team at whatever level it is and that level isn't amazing for them but it's not bad and I want to just kind of see not only we talked a little bit about the starting lineup but how this team closes games because they can go small I think they're probably if you're talking about their best five players on the floor they're overwhelmingly going to be small and also how that fits in with the egos of this like if one of the ways you could see this team going is you know Damari Carroll at the four but then Rondé Hollis Jefferson has been an important part of what they've done is he okay with that you know is Jeremy Lin is he going to be in the closing five D'Angelo are you going to have both those guys together Alan Crabb pretty much has to be in there considering what they they sacrificed to make that trade I mean their five best guys are probably Carroll uh, RHJ Crabb Russell and Lynn and but I, I think although I'm certainly a proponent of going small I think that's just a little bit too small uh so it wouldn't shock me if we see a lot of Quincy AC closing games for this team actually Mozgov is probably going to be considered too slow uh Jared Allen maybe uh, you know I like his mobility but expecting a rookie to be closing games even on a, on a team like this is unlikely so I, it wouldn't shock me if we see AC just for more of his mobility and then they try to just get him rolling down the lane for some dunks uh you imagine Rondé would be out there I mean maybe they would go with Carroll at the four and Crab at the three in those lineups but yeah it's interesting because you just very few teams are closing games with a guy like Mozgov any longer right and it also doesn't really fit with Atkinson's MO as far as I can tell where it's you know he doesn't bring other than the defensive part if he's on for that game he doesn't bring a lot of what they what they're going to need and if you are a team that is below average in terms of talent and generally inferior to your opponents in that way you kind of want to go for these high variance strategies because that's your best shot at winning you know they're going to have a team where maybe the other team isn't scoring as well as they should and you're just getting enough buckets to win I can see the Nets pulling some of those games throughout the season if they can keep it close to like five minutes left to go in the game so I'm trying to figure out how it was that they actually were as good as 23rd in defense last year. And they were absolutely horrendous at forcing turnovers. I expect that to be the case again this year. They don't really have anybody on this team who, who can get a steal. Uh, they were about average in defensive rebound rate. That probably will get a little bit worse this year, I, I would imagine, when Mozgov isn't on the floor. Allen uh, has not been a good rebounder in his career so so far. Uh, they're probably going to, they didn't foul that much, which was good so they could probably 
probably maintain that. I, I guess part, a lot of that is coaching. But the big strength of their defense was that opponents didn't shoot that well against them. They only uh, gave up the 17th worst e-field goal percentage in the league. And a little bit of that seems kind of fluky to me. Uh, defensively, they didn't give up like an unsustainably good three-point percentage against, so they're 21st in the league there. So maybe they actually can coach these guys up and they'll be good. Uh, Lopez maybe is an underrated defender just in terms of the space that he takes up with the basket, even if he's pretty glacial out on the floor. But I think Mozgov can pretty much duplicate what they got defensively. So, you know, maybe maybe this team can stay out of the bottom five in defense and become a team that, you know, is like the 18th best offense and like the 21st best defense. Like that's about as good as I see it being from these guys. And that would be a, a pretty significant success considering where they are. And when you look at how young a lot of the guys in the team is like, they're, they're not insanely young because they're going to have guys in the rotation who are prime and post prime. But a lot of players like D'Angelo Russell, like Alan Crabb, like Karis LeVert, who you expect that their their better days are, are coming and maybe not even coming super soon, maybe coming like three years down the, low, down the road. So what are the big strengths for this team? Whew, that's an interesting... I think competent competence at the one through yeah. three for 48 minutes. I think that's probably their biggest strength. And they, that might be a way that they beat up on some of these teams. It's like, I was, I want to look at when the season actually gets going, their starter and bench net ratings and things like that, just to see, are they willing, are they able to push that? Because some of the teams that are kind of at their level, they have intriguing guys, but then they just don't have a complete roster. And I could see them running some of those groups enough to actually stay in games and maybe get some leads. Yeah. And, and they, need that depth because their philosophy is to not play guys that many minutes especially when they're in this basically dead period where they're just not going to be contending for the playoffs and they're to be commended other than with the crab trade for the fact that they haven't been like oh well we don't have our draft picks we might as well just push as hard as we can anyway just to like kind of look better or whatever you know they definitely rested brooke lopez plenty the last two years even and so that depth is going to be important when some of these guys are going to be playing some games and they'll probably be resting guys a, a fair amount as well uh yeah so i see that as a death i mean just i think their offensive system the way they spread the floor i mean they got up a ton of three-pointers last year last year they were fourth in three-point attempt rate uh 37 of their shots coming from downtown uh they also were actually pretty good in free throw rate which is a su- surprise but i think a lot of that was lopez and i I, yeah, I, I, I would think so i'm not sure who on this team now you really look at as is any good getting to the free throw line uh maybe booker you could put in that category to some degree on his offensive board so i expect them to regress there and they also played at the number one pace in the league last year so you're right i mean i think they can get out and transition that's how they're going to get a lot of those threes so taking threes is a strength i don't know if making threes is a strength because last season they were 26th in three-point percentage 34 percent i think they could be better though this year they the personnel that they swapped out i think is a little bit more conducive and do you remember i i I seem to recall that d'angelo russell was pretty solid catch and shoot last year from three and worse on pull-ups do you remember if that's right well, one of us can look that up. <laughs> you're you're better at that. I you cite the that step more more than me. Uh, I I think. Uh... Yeah, so in terms of strengths, that's probably going to be about it, though. Uh, just general youth. I don't know. That's that's usually a weakness. So. <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, it's surprising how positive we've been about this team, a team that we probably expect to be pretty bad. We'll do our predictions momentarily. The weaknesses, certainly forcing turnovers is going to be one, I think. Uh, 
just overall depth at the big men positions and maybe they're just not going to play that many big men but still I mean this team probably especially in a league now which is overrun with traditional bigs this team easily I think has the worst traditional bigs in the league would you say that yeah I would definitely say that I mean it, it, it's a really it's a really rough group yeah. and but maybe maybe Phoenix really... if Len doesn't come back uh would be no, but I mean they still they still have Tyson they still have Tyson if they're playing Jared oh yeah I guess you're not counting Jared Dudley um yeah yeah traditional yeah. Base. um no it, it's definitely among the worst for sure there's uh no two ways about that uh okay so so I have I have oh, yeah, the okay. stats so he attempted three catch and shoot threes a game and shot 37.2 percent he attempted 2.9 pull-up threes a game and shot 33 percent yeah I mean as most people do they shoot a little bit better on, on catch and shoot and he should have more chances I think to play off the ball if he's playing with Lynn um I mean it's a, did we say this who we think their starters are going to be I, I think it's going to be Lynn and Russell just starting together I mean those are the two guys with the most pedigree in that backcourt Crab starting at the three Rondé at the four and Mozgov at the five that would be my guess of, of who they're going to start not based on any inside info but just kind of how I I see them doing it yeah I think it'll be that and then the question is if Damari Carroll starts who does he replace because to me you have to play Russell because part a big part of the analysis with D'Angelo Russell is how does he play with your best guys and so you're failing on that analysis if you don't have him out there I, I've thought about the idea of putting Crab in that spot, but they consider Crab a value right. on that contract, or at least value on the Nicholson, the, his contract minus Nicholson at this point. So they're seeing him as a starter. So I, I, if, if yeah. we're doing this as a I would probably start. Thing, you, I would you probably, if that. you're trying to win games, I would probably start Demario over Crab as well. And, and I think that way with Demari and Hollis Jefferson, because Lynn and Russell are pretty bad defensively in the backcourt. And then even when you bring in LaFert, it's going to be just as bad. And Crab's not any good either. So I think getting both. Both those guys out there together give you some semblance of a chance to maybe stop the other team uh but i mean that's really probably one if you could have and then mozgov at the five like that's actually not a terrible uh, defensive front court uh so mm-hmm. i mean that's probably where i would go but i oh, don't think they're going to do it that way something i want to bring up before we get to predictions because i feel like this is instructive is from what you're thinking right now would you expect that if, if that their team in terms of transactions will be better or worse because of the moves that they make between now and the trade probably worse probably worse i I mean i I, because they don't have a ton of space left at this point they've got only about 3.5 million to work with this year so just taking a bad contract into space seems unlikely and you could certainly imagine the construct of a trade in which lynn were sent out and they brought back some bad summer of 2016 salary but i don't see them just like taking a guy into space who is overpaid but can still play a little bit and and would help them that seems unlikely to me I agree with you. I think the more likely outcome is that they get worse, especially with Lynn being a reasonable trade target for some other teams. Do the same thing with as when Mark Singor taught was on the Suns, where you don't necessarily see the place right now, but things are going to change between this point and January first, and somebody's going to have a need. And as we talked about at the outset, being without a point guard is the easiest way to sink a team. Phoenix could talk about this. Numerous other teams can. When when Bledsoe went down a couple years ago, and so that's there. But the other way is I think Devin Book 
Booker, or, sorry, not Devin Booker, Trevor Booker is the is the key to this because you talked about Lynn being able to move a contract. If they use Booker instead, I could really see them upgrading. You know, just getting a guy who who could play and remember that well, they're well. But anyone they're getting not, is going to be a bad contract. You're saying they would get someone right. who's a bad contract but is still better than Booker, right? Maybe a center, like somebody who can who can give you 15 to 20 minutes a game at that spot. I think it's possible to to build something that would be better. And then the other thing to remember here is that if if Lynn opts in, they're not going to be dealing with that much cap space in the first place, you know, for the summer of 2018. So it wouldn't be much of a marginal loss if they chose to invest some of their resources in that way, because once they hit the trade deadline, then Trevor Booker's just, he's just expiring. You can't trade him after that or anything of, of that of that ilk. So they might just look at it, depending on where they see Lynn going and say, well, that's the best we can do with this. And I think they could get better with Booker, especially if he's going to be kind of on the fringes of the rotation because they want to play some of these smaller lineups with Carroll and Rondé and everything. Yeah, else. and it's also possible that Carroll could be rehabilitated enough to where he could get exchanged for even worse salary. You know, maybe like he could get traded for an Evan Turner type of guy. You know, so someone who just has makes similar money but has a little bit longer on his contract still, and they pick up an asset in that exchange as well. Uh, we have been remiss though. We have uh, they they have more weaknesses <laughs> obviously that we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, they're going to be horrendous. I think. Well, especially when they don't play Mozgov, they're not going to get any offensive rebounds. And if they try to play Mozgov more as a Brook Lopez type, which you know I'm not saying that's going to work. I think they'll try it though. Uh, at Brook Lopez type in terms of spacing out at the perimeter, not like post ups or anything. So they'll probably be pretty bad in offensive rebound. I think they can actually get a lot better in terms of turnovers. They were worse in turnovers offensively last year, and I think they'll be a lot better this year. I mean, because they were just had so many guys who were playing like way above their heads, like Sloan or or Isaiah Whitehead, who are just throwing the ball all, all over the gym. And on kind of a broad scale thing, while I like a lot of the pieces that the Nets have brought in, they don't really have that many individually dominant players in any aspect of the game. Like Jeremy Lin is a is a, a good steward. I, I like him. I think he's on a good contract. But they don't have those guys that when when they get hot, you're just gonna be like, oh crap, and maybe maybe they'll give them a game or something like that. This team just doesn't have those guys. Alan maybe Kraft, Russell could be that player. guy. Maybe it's possible. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But like, I, and I think that might end up sinking them in more games just because they they don't have that real fallback option. And when your fallback is your scheme, that can work when you're really good. But outside of that, sometimes when it breaks down, you're especially when you have a bad defense. It, it just it it all kind of piles on each other. Yeah, I think general generally just the defense, the backcourt defense, like that that's going to be the big problem in this team. And they also don't really have. Oh no, I guess they got Krebs. I was going to say they don't have that that much shooting, but. Uh, uh, you know, Crab really provides that. Um, all right. Uh, what do you see as like the big questions that are going to determine like relative success or failure for this team this year? They made big bets on D'Angelo Russell and Alan Crab. Both of those guys are under contract for a while longer, multiple years. And can they deliver in a more favorable circumstance, at least for counting stats, but more favorable overall? And if they do, how does that affect their planning? And if they don't, are the Nets willing to cut bait or will they kind of stick with it because they feel like, well, these are still our guys? Yeah, well, and, and cutting bait on Crab will be difficult. I mean, the conception of that trade was, okay, we're trading away $6 million in dead salary in Nicholson, and so we're getting back 18 so we're basically turning Alan Crab into a $12 million player. And that's good logic, except if it comes time to move 
him again when you know he's then again becomes an 18 million dollar player uh so yeah I, I don't know that's interesting to me i think the other one is just can they get anything out of these guys at the big position like mozgov crazily enough is a key player for this team can jared allen give them some energy off the bench and be like a semi-competent backup center or maybe ac can he get into that role uh and then just how many of their threes are they going to hit that's the other one too you know you're they're going to get them up are these guys lynn is going to take plenty i'm sure russell crab is he going to shoot as well not playing next to dame lillard and cj mccollum you know he shot 44 percent on threes last year carol is he going to hit his shots they're going to get these shots up if they're they could be a team that if they hit their shots they have guys who are capable of getting hot from downtown now more so than they have in the past then they could be a team that can put a scare into some teams just because they're shooting so many threes um all right you want to do your predicted record i'm glad to finally get you here i've got this whole uh column in my predictions that i was hoping you would start contributing to but now you're forced to at least give me one for the nets so i'll start with the the i think it's pelton's rpm projections have them at about 29 and a half and i think in terms of healthy talent level that's about right but i think they're gonna i just have to assume they're gonna be a little bit less healthy things are gonna take a little bit longer so i'm gonna say 28 though i could see them winning more than that that's just what i think of as the most likely outcome yeah, I think I'm right in in that range for them as well. You know, I to me this feels like 21st, 20th best offense, and because I think there are going to be some really bad offenses this year, uh, and yeah, you know, 24th best defense, something along those lines. There's the possibility of a Lynn trade. We haven't talked about injuries either. I mean, Lynn missed a ton of time last year. Russell has struggled with the, some knee issues in his career. You know, that's something to watch also. And if either of those two guys goes down or god forbid both of them then they're really in trouble as well uh lavert has that foot issue in in his past mozgov hasn't been the healthiest guy and you could also just see him getting shut down towards the end of the year just because and crab crab and ronde have injuries yeah yeah crab is uh coming off uh, that broken foot it's a i think it was a fifth metatarsal injury for him yeah that's what it was uh back in may so should be ready to go but those injuries certainly have a chance of recurrence so i'm gonna say with all that the chance of a trade the fact that they're just i'm gonna put them at 27 wins because they just have some quality players on this team and that would be a three win improvement over where they were a year ago i think the loss of lopez certainly is going to hurt them because lopez was pretty decent last year he's a better offensive player really than anyone still that they got this year unless russell takes a massive leap forward so 27 for me 28 for you what do you see as their best case scenario I don't expect it, but I could see them getting into the mid-30s because if they're just a little bit better, let's say they're about a league average offense and their defense isn't as horrendous as we think it might be, if it's like 50, if they're like 15th and 20th or 15th and 23rd or something like that, I think they could actually, yeah, be, be in the mid-30s, something like that. And I don't expect it, but that's about what I would consider the best case. Yeah, I could see them getting to 35 wins. Like this, to me, if everything broke right, it actually would not shock me if they were like the 14th or 15th best offense in the league. Just out of taking the right shots spacing the floor having some guys who who in russell and lynn who maybe can take another step forward and i'm finally interested to see what lynn could do as the main guy uh although he's gonna be playing with russell again so maybe he won't be but you know he was pretty effective last year so i could
could see them getting a 35. Uh, is that where you would put it as well? Yeah, I would put it there. And remember, 35 puts you close to the playoff picture. Oh, God. East. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it could, uh, although it, I expect, you know, because I know KP's RPM projections have, I think, the Pistons with 35 wins getting the eighth seed. I mean, there are just so many teams that are down there mired in the muck where it right, only takes exactly. one. I mean, a couple of those are, have to exceed expectations, at least get up to like 37 or 30. I think 38 is the lowest it's been in my lifetime, actually. Uh, I don't think we've ever uh, we've ever seen a 37 win team. I mean, they're back when there were only 23 teams and they expanded the playoffs to eight. You know, you had like, I think that first, uh, either the first or second Michael Jordan Bulls team had like 30 wins and got into the playoffs, which was pretty ridiculous. But since they've expanded beyond there, I think 38 is the worst that we've seen. Um, yeah, worst case scenario, what do you think? Worst team in the league, give up the number one pick again. I don't, ex- I, I think that they're probably, they're better than the worst team in terms of talent, but I could see them finishing with the worst record if they get injuries and just kind of knuckle under in that sort of a way. I think they're better than the Bulls by a meaningful margin, but not so much, or, or even you could say the worst case scenario is actually not even about record, but just about the guys that they invested in not getting it. But I think you meant this in terms of worst Yeah, right? yeah, I did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, worst record in the league, would you probably be right about where they were? last year it'd be 20 wins uh and, yeah, and 20 about 20 i mean and that's now granted they did have the differential of a 24 win team as we've been saying last year but you know sometimes in the worst case scenario you fundamentally are a 24 win team and then you're just worse you know due to bad luck or whatever so yeah i mean i could see it's perfectly possible that they could be as bad as they were last year you know so i think 20 would probably be the worst case scenario to me i mean and last year last year with the talent that they had probably was about as bad as could have been expected both in being four wins worse than the expected differential and all the time that Lynn missed it as well so I think that provides a pretty good baseline for me as well uh, all right, not a lot of differentiation here on, on this one, but uh, that's why we do a podcast together because we think so. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not doing the Siskel and Ebert approach to podcasting. Um, yeah. Oh, I have one thing I want to talk about. If we're not going to do it, uh, I think that there's an underappreciated chance that not because he's amazing, but because of opportunity that Jared Allen makes an all rookie team, just because there aren't that many centers that I think are going to get a ton of playing time. And if he if he earns it, I could totally see him playing a lot on, on this team. Yeah, I think he can be good. His mobility he's got a a really long wingspan his numbers at texas last year were kind of fluky because he played the four a lot actually you know it didn't block a ton of shots but i really liked what i've seen from him in shot blocking on on some of those team usa squads back in the day and he's got some good mobility can finish around the rim got like an okay hook shot game from close in with either hand but motor has been a question mark for him but he to me has a lot more talent than some of the bigs that were drafted ahead of him right and i think he could be energized by opportunity and surrounding talent like he's gonna he's gonna have the incentive structure in place now which is very different than when you're playing power forward in college that if he sets a good screen and runs to the basket he's gonna have guys that can actually get him the ball and i think for a kind of a basic big man especially somebody who's young that's enough of a performance incentive to really get them going here's a question what grade would you give the sean mark regime since they took over in february of 2016 so i feel like a lot of people are grading it on a little bit of a curve because he didn't do any of the like big screw-ups of like the win now stuff and so i think that deserves a lot of credit but i think that broadly they misused and 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 rushed the massive cap advantage they have i mean i wrote about this a little bit for the sporting news about a month ago about how i think that the the league is just going to have this shrinking amount of cap space so i think i'd probably give them a c or a c plus i like levert and i think 
that that's probably why I'd go. I end up going with the C plus. You know, before the crab trade, I probably would have gone like B plus A minus. I think I, the trade of Young for Levert looks okay. You know, Young was not going to provide a, a ton of value for this team. I liked the idea of Lopez for Russell, even though I I think it's unlikely that Russell works out. He does still to me have a lot of upside as a player, and it's just in salary dumps you just don't get a player with that kind of pedigree and upside even if there's only a 20 percent chance that he becomes a real star player which i that's about where i'd put it at this point to get that kind of upside when you just don't have any draft picks just for taking on bad salary you know that's pretty awesome to do that i think uh didn't they could have avoided giving up the kyle kuzma pick in that deal that might have been nice um but you know i still thought that that the concept of that deal was good the nicholson deal i like that they got jared allen out, out of that deal um wait is that right no oh yeah 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 yes. no, no that's yeah, right yeah that was the washington I, pick and then they traded the celtics pick okay yeah i misspoke earlier when i said that allen had, had been gotten with that celtics pick that was actually the washington pick um but yeah so it was uh i, I like that i like the drafting of allen so i think with their limited resources they've pick guys that i like and then just the crab trade to me just messed everything and i thought the the carol trade also wasn't bad either like getting a first rounder from toronto who might be worse than people think as well and like crab is a guy who can still play a little bit uh so that i was fine with he might even be flippable as we talked about all that i was really liking and then the crab trade to me kind of really messed things up uh, to some degree because he just doesn't fit into what they're trying to do both in terms of positionally or in terms of just being not having much upside with his contract and kind of being a little bit too old still frankly uh for being a part of this core the next time they're trying to be good and hurting their tanking prospects in 2019 all that we we talked about why we didn't like that trade so i probably would downgrade it to overall a b b minus but remember you know c is average so we still think that overall they've done a good job and then just in terms of transforming the culture as well kenny atkinson i think has done a nice job there so far Uh, they've brought in made this more of a quality nba organization uh, Zach Lowe wrote a piece that and he well I'm sure he got nice ass access uh, is not the guy who's going to BS about something like it sounds like that's a real thing that they've uh, really improved their culture there so uh, with all that you know BB minus I'd say overall yeah I, I have no real no real opposition to that and then one thing I want to bring well, up other though, than we the talked fact about that you the graded Nets. him lower than I did but <laughs> yeah but but it's you know the logic yeah. is sound and I, I think that the part that is lost in this shuffle is that they don't have financial flexibility for a really sure. long time I talked about how they don't have it in 2018-19. 2019-20, if Crab picks up his option, Mozgov is already getting paid 16.7 million for that year, and that's the year D'Angelo Russell's contract spikes. And while it's entirely possible, and I would say likely, that he doesn't get his full cap hold because his hold is 21 million dollars. <laughs> But they don't have a lot of a, a lot of wiggle room here, and you think that they're going to use some of their what they're doing now to add salary for those years. So it's hard to really think about when is when is this group going to peak? When is this group going to be together? And then they will finally get their pick next year. But they, I think, they kind of tried. To, they didn't do the whole like win now thing. But I don't know. I I, I just think that it, it didn't all come together. It's one of those things where I, I I didn't disagree with a lot of the moves strongly separate, but in concert, it just it it's not as inspiring inspiring of a picture as i'd hoped well you got to remember where they were starting from too i mean it's just uh, oh that's like, true and that and that's why it's a c plus instead of yeah. something else is because they had they were in just such a such a desolate situation I mean, and, they, but they the are better time, off now than i would have expected them to be when he took the job absolutely 100 um yeah and so it's just like yeah I, I liked it it was just all uh, the uh the crab trade that really kind of hurt things for me um all right well thanks for uh helping out here in a pinch since i uh apparently don't know
know anyone who writes about the Nets anymore, which was just sad. I have to work on that. You should have you should have made Bontemps do it. <laughs> now, Danny, I can't make anyone do anything. <laughs> uh that's true yeah and tim i i think tim i want to save him for uh you know the next uh incredibly long no cell phone service vacation that you take uh you're aiming for uh 2018 free agency for your next trip or or what (laughs) no we'll see we'll we'll see maybe maybe beginning of the playoffs or something (laughs) all right man it was good good to talk to you uh and look forward to hanging out when you're back in town here and uh I, uh, we don't do this. Like uh, you're, we're friends. We can. We, we know we're going to be talking again soon. So uh, I'll talk to you later on. Yeah, it was fun to do it. BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.